Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Justin Webb, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Very happy to be here. Thanks very much, Mark. Now... You're the co-founder and executive chairman of AgriWeb, which is Agri, your name. Agri. <laughs> but before I talk about it, you've got an interesting backstory, so I want to actually talk about that if you don't mind. Family history of Australian beef and sheep farming. Uh, you, you love, obviously, the agricultural industry. Tell me a little bit about your backstory relative to your family's um, you know, position when it comes to beef and sheep farming in Australia. Sure. Um, so dad's side of the family um, originally – had had been free farming here in Australia back in eighteen early eighteen fifties um, up in Camongan, which is Western Queensland, on uh, and near Quilpie. Um, so very big pastoral properties that were sort of million plus acres and would take two weeks to go and round up the round up the animals. Um, and uh, you know over time, um, family disputes and 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 as such succession, we've sort of progressed further south. So. My experience, dad was born in Daniloquin, um, and my experience was more anchored in the Western districts of Victoria. Um, and my my old man's job, he broke away from, from growing up on the family farm. Um, he sort of grew up there, went to Geelong, and then, you know, in the late 50s, went to university, did an MBA at Columbia. That took him on a pathway of corporate America, um, and he grew... Spent nearly forty years growing what ended up being the world's largest consumer products business, and that meant that we moved almost every three years. So, you know, while I have DNA roots, um, um, crutching sheep, I uh, I don't really have a practical knowledge of it. So, um, thus the the vaguely pommy accent because I was sent off to boarding school while mum and dad changed country every two or three years, and uh, and. When I finished school in in England, I um I headed off to university in in the states. Uh, I studied at Harvard University. I was very lucky to be over there and and study applied mathematics and um and economics. Um, I, I did a fair bit of rowing on the team there as well, which which taught me a thing or two about early mornings and and very tough dedication. Um, and and I suppose organizing organizing your life. Um. And thereafter, I, I went on sort of an, an entrepreneurial career, which perhaps we can dig into, but it wasn't until, um, you know, an iteration a fair bit later, almost uh, almost 12 years later, that um, I I had was now back at, back at academia, studying at Oxford University, and I had gone back to our family farm 
Um, where, where, where was that at the time? At um, this time? In Western Victoria. In Western Victoria. And where we run, you know, fat lambs and, and Angus cattle. And I was sitting at the kitchen table with a whole bunch of advisors and et cetera. And, and you know, a bit of a heartstring story, but dad um, at this point had, had fallen quite ill uh, with uh, with cancer. And, and um, he has since recovered, thankfully. But at that point, decisions were falling to me. And given what I've just told you about this background, I didn't know what what you know the, the decision to be made, and I felt very helpless. And despite having all of these advisors around the table, where I would push from a, an applied mathematic applied mathematician's background was, well, where's the data? How can I, you know, if we're going to be ma- spending this money or looking to make these improvements, where's the quantitative evidence that's going to show that it actually improves? And and it was crickets when I would ask around the table. And in fact, I even remember. One of the most influential sort of advisors and and very old family in in Victoria and South Australia, um, leaning across and ruffling my hair and saying, "Oh, young buck, like farming doesn't work that way. It's not your finance game," and um, and I was just astonished. And that's really what led to the foundation of Agrib, which was if you you know if you, if you're not quantitatively measuring it, how can you possibly expect to manage and iterate on improvements? And which is the old saying: if you can't measure, you can't manage. So yeah. So, you know, the, the natural evolution of digitization of an industry, um, uh, you know, I don't want to say uh, it, it was instigated there, but it's certainly the problem that was true around our kitchen table in Western Victoria, um, you know, has proven true at nearly 20,000 farms all around the world. Um, and, and at this point, as, as we continue to scale, has you know, more than a quarter of all of the commercial livestock in Australia being managed on it. So it's 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 certainly something that's an exciting influx in the industry, and that's where it came from. So do you mind if I dig into uh, uh, your degree in mathematics? Um, <laughs> sure. Or applied mathematics, um, which is sort of slightly different as opposed to pure mathematics. But um, can we just dig in a little bit? Like uh, Because I mean, it is important because I'm, t- I'm thinking about uh, skill base. I'm thinking about thought processes and – the structure of the thought processes relative to, in, in this case, it's, you know, how do you manage a farm or how do you justify spending more money in relation to the management of a farm um, and old versus old school systems where we're just saying, oh, well, we should do that because we're going to get a better quality sheep but we're going to get something or other out of it. Um, measurement is very important. What does applied mathematics, a degree in applied mathematics mean? Well, Mark, I mean, this is definitely a question that normally – if I even start to answer it at a dinner table, uh, eyes glaze over and, and I think I'm not invited back. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'd invite you back because I like that sort of stuff. Um, you know, applied mathematics, at least in my sense, um, when I was studying it in the context of, of economics, I was very fortunate, as one is, when you're at um, when you're at Harvard to have, you know, Mankiw, Feldstein, some of these amazing professors. Um, but what we were studying here was, was the application of what everyone loves to call artificial intelligence now. It was machine learning, um, and in particular, it was around neural nets and and the evolution of topology, which is the, the hidden layers that exist within neural nets and, and how they actually self-evolve and interpret. Um, uh, now, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but... Um, when I was at university in the early 2000s, it uh, we didn't have the computational power, and and it's remarkable what we've been able to do. And in fact, one of the first businesses I started was with a a, a classmate and and roommate, who frankly was an absolute genius um, in this space. And we moved out here to Sydney, um, and had 
uh, at the time, the most powerful supercomputer in Australia that we'd had built in the US and shipped over. And you guys built it. Um, yep. We had we had we had set the specs and yep. Cray, which is a computer built it, and we had it in a um, in a backpackers above a backpackers on Lamrock Avenue in Bondi. Um, and we built a, a, a data interpretation engine, which we used for a hedge fund, effectively. Um, but the reason why I'm sort of giving the context of that story is, you know, Matt, my business partner at the time, you know, he loved baseball and he loved the statistics and et cetera of baseball. Um, and he was a math genius, but that's the reason that he was building this engine. And I, uh, you know, it's Melbourne, Melbourne Cup Carnival time. I love horse racing. And in particular, I love the breeding side. And so I was always fascinated to see, well, hang on, if we started to measure some of this stuff that is, is a little bit snake oily and, and a little bit soothsayery, we're talking about, you know, how the house, how the horse winks or walks or, you know, flickers as it goes around. You know, could we put quantitative evidence around this and start to have a better prediction engine? In other words, who's going to win, or perhaps maybe who back, were you back in winners or losers? Oh well, I mean, we did have a win rate. We're quite proud of, yep. of what we did, but ultimately there was a better and broader application, and perhaps a more um, uh, you know socially acceptable cause, um, despite the fact that it you know it could have built it could have built museums in Tasmania, but um, which is well known, which is well known. But um, we uh, we ended up you know shifting it across to manage equities. You built some data points around what you guys are observing in relation to, in your, in your case, horses. And then you build a, some software around learning how those data points can influence an outcome. And are you saying you then took that that design and moved across to equities? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much the same. I mean, uh, the thing about, and now we're, you know, we're possibly get off topic, but it's desperately interesting in current times, is you know the thing about mathematics and what we all learn about it is the vast majority, because it's easier, the vast majority of traditional mathematics is is linear, right? We're, that's that's what we're taught about multiplication and even regressions, linear regressions. Like, how much does something affect something else on a on a correlation basis? But the reality is, the world's not really like that. It's nonlinear, and um, and so when you can build a system that can determine nonlinear influences and be robust to some of those nonlinear influences, you are building something that is adaptable to a far broader sense, right? And this is why people are astonished that ChatGPT can interpret and understand and give you actual insights based off of things it has never heard before. Because if you consider uh, you know, the, no, the, uh, the, the sphere of nonlinear items in this world versus linear items in this world is equivalent to being like all animals that are not elephants. It's so far outstrips. And so that vast area of understanding, you can use models that have been built in that in that paradigm, in that sphere, and let it be adapted across a whole litany of different opportunities, which is, I suppose, why it's very exciting to look at how do we look at data coming back to, all right, now I'm on farm. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know necessarily which factors to consider. Clearly, one thinks of rainfall or um, or fencing or water points or movements. But you know, what about things that you don't necessarily consider, like how many days should the animals stay in there, and what type of animals should you have, and is there different soil types for different types of animals? And is it hilly? Is it hilly? Is it windy? Is it anything? Right? How many hours of sunshine are you getting? And when you let the engine start to determine what those factors really are. Machine learning is about letting the system, the, mm -hmm. the machine, make those decisions. Correct. As opposed to you and me sitting down and going, well, let's pick up every single assumption or every single variable that we need to have in order to build the model. 
which traditionally is how we make judgments as people, um, as opposed to now the machine is doing it itself. Sure, but it, it, you're not doing anything different to what's happened over multiple generations no, and iterations, totally. right? We have just been, quote unquote, machine learning for ourselves yeah. and passing on anecdotes of success. Like the farmer that's been on that land for six generations has effectively been doing the same thing through multi-generations and working out what works best, what sun, what rainfall, what sunlight, how many hours they should use, what's the best paddock. But they they can't iterate quickly. It takes multi-generations to do that versus an, a computer can do it extremely quickly. Is computing power today satisfactory or enough to be able to do all the sorts of things that you want to do? Like relatively speaking, I'm talking about I mean, that's you know, that's a question that probably Sam Altman is busy answering over at GBT um, <laughs> and Microsoft right now. Now he's been reappointed. Now he's been reappointed with all the resources. But um, you know, is has computational strength and ability advanced enough? My question is to achieve what? I mean, I think that you know, without diving into a full ethical exploration right now on on singularity and how far machine learning can go or artificial intelligence can go. The reality is there is so much we can do around digitizing industries to make you know, to make the basis of food production, the basis of healthcare, the basis of of optimization of jobs, the the, the you know, the allocation of capital to efficient resources and there's a lot of inefficiencies in the way we run run things before we start cutting out people's jobs and getting worried about, you know, the Terminator rising up and exterminating us. And so I think focusing on the the just undeniable, incredible positives that we can see through, you know, through the use of and the application of some of the most advanced AI and machine learning engines, I'm really excited. I mean, innovation comes in an S-curve. And and I think we are just at this, you know, inflection point of of driving through that over the next five, ten years. And I look at my children who are five and seven, um, and it's one of those things where it's it's akin to just pre the industrial revolution. Um, oh, really? Uh, of, that, of what's, absolutely. I think that we are genuinely at that turning point. Um, and you know, the really the last S curve innovation was in sort of early mid two thousands when when you know apple launched the iphone and look how much that's changed the way that we we operate as as a society what machine learning and, and ai will do over the next five years and 10 years will will be an even greater factor greater um shift change for for society i believe i've often wanted to ask someone like you what do you think about the relevance of, of moore's law do you think it's a relevant law anymore i mean it's not really a law not not a, well not yeah. a particularly but i mean it's often quoted um, so the, um, uh, that things double, uh, it really relates to transistor. The density of transistors yeah. on a chip. But I mean, like, but it's every two years things double or something sure. along those lines. Because it's just my sense is that things more than double in less than two years. In fact, Moore's law to me seems to be halved or some other number. I, I've never well, done the math. It's an exponential factor, right? Yeah, so so it's, it gets much, much faster. Yes. Uh, yeah. So um, it's not relevant as, as, it is relevant in a conceptual sense, but it's not accurate. Well, it, it, of course, it's relevant and to to a certain degree, it's not scientific law. But yeah. it, 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 is it accurate? I think it's more influential. Let's call it that. Um, and the ability for our computational power, right? In the eighties, the the iPad that you have in front of you, right, would have filled three times of this room for the computational power that it's got. So 
that's pretty cool. And it certainly has influence on everything from everything from what we drive to the coffee we drink to the exports we make. But has it fundamentally had positive impact? Well, you know, this is perhaps more of where we start looking at what applications are we genuinely looking for and what solutions are we looking for? You know, the old quote of, we were promised flying cars and we were given 140 characters, um, which I think was Peter Thiel, um, is, uh, is pretty apt. And I think, um, you know, I credit my co-founder, Kevin Baum, who was a Silicon Valley native um, when, when he was working in the United States. And he was also on the Oxford Rowing team with me where we were coming up with the, a lot of the ideas around AgriWeb. And, you know, he, his, his real mission was he didn't grow up on farm, had no connection to it, but his real mission was, look, in 50 or 100 years, are we really going to be sending Facebook posts to each other? And are we desperate to be tweeting or Xing? Um, and it's, it, no, probably not, right? But are we going to have pressure on the food system to be able to feed everyone in the world? Absolutely. I mean, we've been doing, dealing with what they call a Malthusian trap with Thomas Malthus um, said we were going to run out of food to feed the population, I think in 1780, something like that. And, and, and the innovation in food production, i.e. the plow um, and, and the, the seed drill by um, Jethro Tull, really started to innovate that. And then around the World War, we started to create synthetic fertilizers. Now, we now can, and, and GMO foods and all these sort of things. Now, great, we can just about feed the population we've got now, but we are in a serious crisis whereby in the next uh, 30 years, we have to create as much food it's very difficult to get one's head around this paradigm. We have to create as much food in the next 30 years as we have in the entirety of food production from beginning of time until now. I mean, that's extraordinary to, to even like think about for a second. Like, how are we going to do that? And if, and if we don't, fundamentally, people starve. It's not like, oh, okay, you know, we, we, we have to create and leverage more productivity but we have to do it in a more sustainable way, right? Because when you do look at emissions, the, there's a, the UNFAO study said that 18% of all greenhouse emissions comes from agriculture, and in particular, it comes from protein production. Now, the world is demanding more protein in their food. And, um, and so you're, you're asking the most inefficient space to be the greatest provider of nourishment over the next 30 years. Well, I can't really think of something that we should be doing and focusing more attention on than that. And um, being yeah, the most basic need. Oh yeah, it's the most basic need. You know, and water. at the confluence of also the greatest productivity challenge. Right, you, you can't just turn around and and more mass farming and 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 more you know more production um, from fertilizers and synthetics. We have to make existing farming more efficient and more sustainable. And there are methodologies to do that, and there are, but we need to let technology proliferate and actually get out there to be able to innovate an industry that's fundamentally, you know, rooted in archaic methods. So that that's, that brings me to a really important point. So one of the biggest issues in Australia, in an economic sense, is our um, downturn in productivity, particularly on a per person basis. If we just per capita basis, I'm talking about. Productivity generally, I don't mean just on farms, I'm talking about productivity generally. AI seems to me to be, tech, well, technology, generally speaking, is one of those things referred to as our saviour in terms of getting us more productive. 
for example, if I just give you one quick example, if we just talk quickly talk about one, it's a big problem at the moment: inflation and uh, you know, and unemployment and wages and the cost and the inflation comes about as a result of um, my wages going up in my organisation, and as a result of that, I put my, I want to maintain my margins, so I put my prices up, and as a result of putting my prices up, along along with everybody else in the country, we create inflation. As a result of creating inflation, the Reserve Bank comes to put interest rates up, and it affects a certain segment of the economy, and um, those. P- 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 actual people go backwards because they're spending far greater percentage of their wages on paying interest than they would ordinarily have done if there was no inflation. Therefore, if we get more productivity, so if I go back to where me, paying more wages, if you work for me and all of a sudden I'm paying you more money, but you work twice as, not twice as hard, you produce twice as much, I don't have the um, um, the same drive to put my prices up. I don't create inflation by putting my price up. And if the whole economy can operate that way through technology, we can each employee can be more productive and I'm happy to pay, therefore I'm happy to pay more money. I don't create inflation. We don't create this big um, inefficiency between, let's call it rich and poor, or or we don't create as much poverty or as much stress at the poverty end. Um, technology seems to be the saviour. Everybody keeps talking about it at the political level anyway. I, I mean, I hear politicians talk about this all the time, but I never see anybody actually say anything, pr- produce anything I mean, at a political level I'm talking about. So what you are doing is talking about using AI and your technology at least to make a certain segment of the economy more productive. Which well, is a good thing. Perfectly astute. Well done. If one approaches this and looks at productivity as you know as a solution, or at least a com- a combat against inflation. And I'm not so worried about inflation. I'm more interested in the Gini coefficient, the thing that inflation creates, the in- the an inefficiency between deadweight loss. Yeah. I don't like it. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't sit well, well with me. I mean, I just I'm just saying. I mean, I, I think that you did. There was a there was an Easter egg in there, which which. You know, maybe we can we can unpack uh, further. No, on. but I don't want to do too much. I want to talk about your business, well, <laughs> but around, equally, but, uh, but know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm wealth saying. inequality, which yeah, is yeah. what you said. Like, yeah. I, I I am concerned. I think that we've we've had an extraordinary period of innovation and and uh, concurrent to an unprecedented increase in wealth disparity, and that's a problem. Mm. And and I think that that is creating enormous socioeconomic problems. And um and you know maybe you and I never can have a beer and 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 really talk about this because I think that it's the it's the the, the boogeyman in the room that people don't want to talk about they're really worried about talking about it, it agitates too much and it gets people a bit worried but it manifests itself in major political realities all around the world and if I look at your thesis and those so, poor people won't be able to afford food because there won't be enough first food people to not be able to afford correct food, right and it's going to get worse yeah. and and so okay to, to to dial that back to you know I am I certainly don't want to paint Agrioab as some sort of you know um, fully altruistic uh, uh, catch-all solution. But it's, it's an not, example. It's an uh, example. It's, it's an example, but fundamentally what AgriWeb is and does, um, it it digitizes information on farm. It, it is, it's a software that empowers farmers to, you know, record their information in a digital context to be able to measure and manage and predict the outcomes, so therefore increase their productivity. So families can increase the profitability and productivity of their farms. That's what it does is it's at its base. Now, at scale, when you start looking across our global footprint, um, you know, we now, we're now operating in 16 countries. We've got, as I said, sort of 17,000 farmers running nearly 22 million head. Um, you know, these numbers, when you look down the supply chain, it starts to increase productivity and efficiency 
for those further down the supply chain that where there exists enormous inefficiencies. And when, when I say inefficiencies, I particularly look at both uh, production inefficiencies from a commercial basis, but also sustainability inefficiencies. As an example, nearly half of all of the cattle that arrive at, uh, at a meat processing plant are out of spec. They're too big, too small, uh, too heavy, too light. And so they are, they have been inefficiently grown and delivered. And that's a crazy waste of resources that we don't have. So being able to more precisely deliver that animal or predict when it will be at the correct weight at the right time, at the right age is, has a huge impact on the, the number of months and days that there is an animal that's emitting methane and, and carbon into the atmosphere. The amount of pastures grown that we don't eat um, uh, can be vastly reduced by understanding when the animals can be in and out of the pastures. And when you actually look at regenerative agriculture, all of a sudden there is a line of sight through which if you correctly rotate the animals through pastures, the regrowth of pastures captures and sequesters the carbon from the atmosphere back into the root system. So that we're talking about nearly carbon neutral beef just by changing the methodology of running. We're not, this isn't fanciful carbon credits and offsets and insets, etc. It is just about understanding how we operate the production of our food to create a totally different paradigm around sustainability and and you know net availability of food all of that comes from the digitization of the kernel which is the animal and the pasture the information of the farmer that's driving around in their ute or sitting on their quad and understanding it rather than being in a you know, pencil and paper in the top pocket. Well, let's. I got to go to the break, but I, I'm, my brain is going mental. Um, I want to go to the break. I want to come back. <laughs> I want to come back and talk about this. Uh, as I said, my brain's going mental because I'm. I'm just. I'm just imagining. What I'm thinking to myself. Old school farmers um, used to rotate their cattle from um, paddock to paddock. Yep. To do exactly what you what you were talking about there. In a way, which was it wasn't written down necessarily, and it wasn't uh, put up on a on a board where all the staff looked at it. It was in their head, and they just said, "Oh, they looked at the grass. They said, you know, that's a bit down. She's about right. No clover left. I'm going to move them over to the other paddock." The old adage was a was a coke can to a golf ball. Yeah, totally. And uh, but what you're doing here, what you're proposing, or what you are doing, uh, is that you're digitising days, times, weights. Mm-hmm. I want to dig into that after the break. So let's go to the break, and we'll come straight back. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
we're back here from the break. I'm here with Jeremy Webb. Um, his business called AgriWeb. We sort of touched on a lot of sort of uh, philosophical stuff, <laughs> some sort of thesis <laughs> before, but really what I want to dig in now to the business. So um, old school farmers, prior to you, you coming along and having the meeting with all your father's advisors during your father's difficult period, um, and then coming up with an idea with your Oxford mate. Do you remember the moment when you sat down with your mate and you said, hey, you know, why don't we do this? Because I, I just went through a shitty process which sort of extraordinarily inefficient, which is, you know, mathematics is sort of about creating efficiencies. Um, do you remember that time? Did you having a beer? What were you doing? Um, I do, actually. We were sitting um, sitting on the Ergo, uh, the rowing machine, um, uh, I hate that. Oh my god, I hate uh, rowing machines. There we it, go. It's, it's one of the good, hardest. I mean, that's one of the ones I do. to try and think of something else. I uh, do it. <laughs> I do it. But it is a tough go. It's it's yeah. It's not much fun. Uh, but maybe those of us that weren't, weren't much good at any other sport went and did that for a while. So um, you know, uh, he and I were training for what's called the Oxford Cambridge Boat Race, which is. Um, you know, it's not well known here, but it's a reasonably big deal over there. A lot of former Olympians and world champions, et cetera, train and, and participate in this race. So anyway, Kevin and I are sitting there spending many, many, many hours um, on the ERG. And he was very keen to, to get started doing a business. Um, uh, as I say, he'd sort of come out of Stanford where a lot of his uh, uh, under, undergrad mates had gone on to start things like Palantir or... Um, or, or, or early days in, in Facebook or early days in Snapchat and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he sort of thought that that was quite ephemeral. Um, and I had, this was, as, as I mentioned, Agrim's actually the fourth business that I founded. Um, and so you know, he was saying, well, how do you, how do you get inspired? What, what do you come up with? Where's your light bulb moment? And I was like, there isn't really a light bulb moment. In, in the journey to date, it's been more about happenstance of life. And you notice that there is a problem or a dislocation in your own existence and perception and and you start thinking of solutions that you would do for it and maybe that starts iterating so we started you know riffing i guess on what does that look like and and what could you do and when we looked at what was out there and you know it was all cd-rom or or desktop based and and yeah it sort of when you thought about that that requires a farmer to go out try and write everything down in their notebook or memorize it and then what they're going to come back after a cold day of the pulling calves and, and start typing stuff into a spreadsheet. It's crazy. It's never going to work. So, you know, how can you leverage? We talked a bit about the advent of smartphones, which was also really starting to proliferate in the, in the rural space. How do you, how do you start to leverage the, the, the bleeding or cutting edge of technology and, and, and apply that to what we're thinking of on a bigger scale? How do you digitize information that they're recording? And then how does that start to, you know, have implications for not only the production and productivity on farm, but also down the supply chain? And, and you know, what I'd love to highlight in this is, is I come back to, you know, there's been a lot of sentiment around, around not eating meat or changing diets or abstaining or, in fact, you know, producing meat in factories or, or, or synthetically creating it out of, out of compounds. You know, I think... I actually think that all of that's fine. It's great because we need it from the fact that we need to produce as much food as possible in order to feed the world. But the reality is we have to fix the existing paradigm. And one of the things that's coming out, you talked about politicians a moment ago and, and actually taking act. Well, you know, Newsom, who's the governor of California, recently passed, as in recently, month and a half ago, passed um, California's Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act. That requires any company 
that is over half a billion in market cap, so basically most companies that are selling in California, to report on scope one, two, and three emissions. Now, scope three emissions for any company, any retailer, Woolworths, Coles here, for their Costco, Amazon food, you know, McDonald's, Chipotle, Burger King, you name it. The biggest portion of their scope three emissions is on its on farm emissions. And the biggest portion of that is beef cattle. So if we can come back to the idea that, well, how can we possibly report on what this is? Well, we need to digitize the information. And how do we mitigate it? How do we improve it so that it is more sustainable? Well, we start implementing the processes that we just talked about, like cattle rotation, like pasture regeneration, like the efficient use of water and the reduced use of antibiotic. All of these methodologies are really only unlocked by doing something digital. So back to that ergo, that's what we really started thinking about was here's an industry just like healthcare that had super disparate pockets of, I go to my doctor, I write something, you know, the doctor writes something down in a file, sticks it in the thing. And when I go to the hospital, that file is useless. I need to start from the diagnostic point from the beginning. But if that file was digital from my, from my GP, all of a sudden when I go to the hospital, they've got all that history. Same deal here. And I think that's where we start to see these, these primary industries, these critical elements, whether it be healthcare, construction, the boring stuff, or agriculture. Like that's what starts, what technology and innovation starts fundamentally changing the way all of us live. What is the burden on the farmer themselves? And particularly in terms of educating the farmer? Yeah. I mean, this is, and I know that actually a lot of, you know, aspiring and, uh, um, and, and practicing entrepreneurs are, will hopefully be listening to this. And, you know, when we kicked off, this was not a thing. SaaS or software as a service was not a thing in, in, in farming. Um, and in fact, even recurring payments on credit cards were not a thing. So we'd go out and we'd shuffle dirt in field days, talking to farmers. We spent six months living out on farms, understanding how they operated. We built that into our platform um, to really empathize with and speak to the way that they operated. Um, and, and that took, you know, a long grind of, of at, at first selling a tablet with it pre-installed as a tool, here's your farm tool. <laughs> and they would walk away with their tablet and they'd feel good about that. Now, obviously things have changed. Um, and we have a marketing led funnel where, you know, it, it, whether by recommendation from a mate or, you know, as much as an Instagram ad drives farmers to a website, our website, they jump on, they build their own farm map um, in real time on a free trial. They upload some evidence about their animals. They put in the inventory. They start moving their animals or mobs um, of, their, of their herd from one paddock or pasture to another by dragging and dropping. And that's what they call the aha moment. They get really excited. Now, the efficiency of that is that once they have signed up and done this trial and built their farm, which takes them about three or four hours. They're sort of virtually. All virtually. Yep, yep. They, they convert at about a 60, 65% conversion rate. In other words, they're sold. Well, they're sold. And yeah. that's, that's without me or anyone else on the team ever having connected or, or spoken to them. And I think what this shows is, one, industries that are perceived as being archaic and, and won't, op, won't adopt technology, which is just wrong, right? Farmers are not stu stupid people. They're, in fact, incredibly ingenuitive. And... And instead, you just have to build good tech that understands the way that they operate. And it's true across almost any industry. It's, it's usually your fault if people are not signing up for something and, and being self-service driven. And the second thing is that when they start to use the, the platform, 
they start driving their own ideas and innovation, and that becomes your source of, of product roadmap. They're the ones that are going to see where you can take this, this product and innovate and drive it. That's your feature roadmap. And to me, that's so exciting is that feature bit where suddenly this mass global industry is giving us a 30-year product roadmap to build things that we hadn't even thought of. You mean in terms of they, they put in requests? Yeah, feature feedback. We yeah. go and meet them. You go and have a chat with them. Like you don't have, well, they, you know, the, the, the customer support, right? Who's had a good experience on Telstra customer support recently? <laughs> so instead, like have something called customer success. Like support is what happens when your product goes wrong. So ideally, you shouldn't really have support. Instead, what you should have is success, right? This is proactively reaching out to the users and say, hey, I really see that you're inputting a ton of data in this, and you, or conversely, you've put this down. Why did you put it down? Where did you hit a roadblock? And, and to those that are using it, well, where would you like to see us build a bit more? Where would you take it if you could? Where's your magic wand? And I think that is so true, and it's, it's obviously much more applicable and immediately actionable in, in a software platform, but it's just as true in almost any other business model. You know, speak to your customers. This isn't anything, this is not rocket science. It goes mm. back to your Keynesian economics. Um, like understand what your customers want and you will likely push the productivity curve and the, and the economic potential curve further out, creating more jobs, more opportunity and more output. How important were the advancements in um, uh, smart devices in order for web to be successful because I mean critical yeah. what couldn't have happened because it, you need this, these things probably needed to I, I mean, what, what period are we talking about when you and your um, 2015 16 yeah well so at that so. point you wouldn't have been able to do it because this stuff here wasn't hadn't caught up yeah yeah it was you know you, you had your iPhone and obviously we've innovated and the products got richer and deeper since since you know iPhone and, and or just smartphone I meant in capturing I meant in terms of capturing uh, farmers attention yeah but capturing farmers attention right that's you don't just have to think of it as a digital platform. You can use traditional media. You can use all those those different routes to market. Um, and I'm going to drop something on you that um, uh, you you may or may not remember, but you actually came in and, and chatted with us. I, ca I came um, in with uh, uh, Scott Morrison. You were when yeah. Scott Morrison was the treasurer, um, yeah. and we we had an office that I, dare I say was pretty humble. Uh, I do remember because you were talking about uh, flying drones and mapping people's uh, farms out. Yeah. I remember it well. It, it was, there was a pretty high sort of adoption cost of that. And you guys came out and, and uh, you know, we were terribly excited. All, all I think six of us. There wasn't many of us. I remember the room down near Central. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when you were doing that, that small business digital uh, task force, yep. it, it was a great example, I think then. And, and, um, uh, and I hope that, you know, those listings still have that heart. Like it's hard to, to build it and it's hard to get the adoption, but, you know, persistence, especially in industries that seem resistant, like, does have a breaking point and then does have a tipping point. And, and the groundswell eventually, you know, does come underneath it. And all of a sudden it starts opening up different channels, right? We, you know, we recently just signed a deal with Cargill, which is one of the biggest privately owned businesses in the world, to have an exclusive arrangement for Brazil um, and be able to distribute with them ex mutually exclusively to all of their customers in Brazil. Now, Brazil has 180 million head of commercial cattle. Um, here in Australia, we have about 20. Um, uh, McDonald's, um, we've just signed a, an agreement with McDonald's where um, McDonald's will, together with OSI, pay farmers for evidence, data, 
based off of the sustainability of the production of beef and the and they incentivize i.e. they will pay farmers more if they are reducing their carbon footprint through sustainability this is a world first wow. thing that has never happened before and this is mcdonald's the world's biggest consumer of beef leveraging a technology that was founded here in australia in western victoria to be able to change the world supply chain in order to make it more sustainable and so from all of these altruistic ideas, like this is really, really exciting. And I think there are plenty of examples that we can do with this right the way across um, across the, the, the international landscape from ideas that are founded here in Australia. You mentioned that Australia's uh, cattle counts, uh, head counts like 20 odd million or something like that. For some reason, I thought it was a lot more. But it's about 25. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I recall at some one stage there, post drought 2019, um, our cattle stocks got reduced quite substantially and uh, because everybody was uh, having to give them feed and it was too expensive and probably had to get water to them somehow too. And uh, so a lot of people just sold the, sold the stock out. I was one of them. <laughs> and then all of a sudden uh, the rains came and uh, we had to go back and restock. And we had this um, crazy price delta like between when everybody was selling to when everybody was restocking. I remember to today. Well, to today has gone back the other way. Um, back here. So I, I remember I was selling at two dollars twenty a kilo, and then I was rebuying at six dollars fifty five a kilo, <laughs> up in Lismore. I don't know whether Lismore was more exp- Lismore at the. Uh, I might say the name of the stocking station, but uh, I was buying at the, the sales. By the way, it was during the COVID too, but everyone else was buying, and then um, now it's back to two dollars twenty a kilo. Um, lucky, I'm, bra- I'm breaking even because my cattle. They grew, so I, was, <laughs> so I was able to sell them for double the weight, but not double the price. Double the weight at half the price, no, more than half, less than half the price. But and and I'm one of those people who just like I'm. I live in Sydney, and I've got staff up there. But um, you know, they're like the sorts of people we're talking about. Um, you know, they get up and oh, we need more. We haven't got enough grass, or we left them on that paddock for too long, and uh, that's chewed down, or the and then the rain comes in and washes all the topsoil away. Blah blah blah. Um, and um, Mark just, we just need more feed, so just pay, <laughs> spend, and uh, and I've never really worked out, and I'd like to look at your system because I never really worked out whether I actually make money out of them. Because and and I think the point you were trying to make, which I, I, I love this point, I never know, I. I I tell you what drives. I hope they're not listening, but I tell you what drives my decision to take my cattle to market or take them to the to the sales up in um, Lismore is I want to make sure I got the turnover to make sure I qualify for a primary production um, uh, status and I don't have to pay land tax. Oh come on, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's you terrible. You can do better than that. I know, it's terrible. I know it's terrible, right? But and I think shit, we haven't sold any for a while because uh, and. Uh, but th- that's sort of your point, isn't it? Like it's about um, well, my point o- is what you just said of your, your the statement that you said in there, which is I never I never really know if I've made money on them or not. Now that sounds crazy, right? You would you wouldn't find a, a corner shop. I don't do my other businesses. That, no um, way. Well, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> we can we can flip roles in a second. But the um, I think you know you wouldn't find a corner shop here in the city that that wouldn't understand what their inventory is, what they bought it for, are they making a margin, where the, where is their most you know, the, the most profitable margin and how do they position that in the store? Uh, and, you know, that will scale up right the way through to the big end of town. So why is it in primary production? Do we do we not? Now, the farmers are really clever people, right? They're doing a thousand different jobs and they are, they are managing and they have been able to manage for generations, which is why. But, you know, a technology should be a tool to help them understand that more quickly and more easily with more precision. 
Yeah. And so therefore, you know, this isn't, I hate the word disrupting. This is not disrupting, it's innovating, it's helping. And much like, you know, the seed drill meant that you could plow more quickly and plant seeds more quickly. And, you know, the ute um, meant that you didn't have to get around on horseback. Right. These are just innovations that will will drive greater production and greater productivity and hopefully sustainability. So I think for you, one, start getting on top of it. And uh, and, and I think you can do a much better job than that. Your goal is now to we're going to meet up and you're going to tell me how how much money you're making or losing and, and where you're going to increase production. Um, but also, I think, you know, from maybe that broader perspective of people that are listening, it, the it, where you you created businesses, you identified this dislocation in, in, in maybe what the, where people thought their potential sat and they couldn't quite understand what their either financial opportunity was or their ability to, to drive home ownership or et cetera. And you innovated on that to create a solution and a tool to, for them to use, which went on to you know, wonderful success. Well, you know, I think that uh, perhaps, you know, um, well, humbly, we could achieve some, you know, some sort of fraction of, of that same success by helping globally farm producers all around the world be much more productive at the same time as helping a whole industry become more sustainable. And sustainable in terms of environment. I, mean, I actually love that that whole idea, but like getting the cattle to market at the right time, the yeah. right size, not oversized, not undersized, um, not chewing on the grass for too long, um, but not chewing, uh, making sure you chew it on, they chew on it for enough. For a long enough time, um, and I like the ho the whole process. It's very very appealing. It's a long way from when I first met you um, when I was doing the task force. Um, because well, at this stage, hopefully, I haven't been quote unquote letting the grass grow under my feet. Like the idea but, is, we keep getting on with it, right? Because well, at this stage, you were sort of mapping. You you're basically uh, building. Uh, I think it was drones, wasn't it? But you, but did no, you have, no, we, you had technology to tell farmers where the cattle were, and somehow they had some sort of. Um, we we we, Sense in the we incorporate and and sort of link in with a lot of the hardware providers. Um, so a lot of them are made here in Australia um, that have ear tags or or satellite sensors yep. and, and mapping and etc. A lot of that hardware ties in with our platform, right? To be able to then tie in with all of that other information that we've recorded, pasture growth rates or feed or um, antibiotic um, treatments. And that ultimately lends the farmer a greater, richer tapestry to be making some decisions about how they run and the animal husbandry levels that they look after their animals to keep them healthy, happy, and 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 getting them to weight. Where's your outcome now? So where are you? Like, how many countries? What, what are we looking at? We're in sixteen countries. Um, our hubs are um, Sydney, uh, London, and the US. Um, you know, we're still very much an Aussie headquartered organization. All of our engineering is done here in Surrey Hills. Um, and we, you know, we're pretty proud of that. Um, the fact that we are the global leader in, in the niche that we're in, 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 you know, livestock software is pretty cool. Um, I think, uh, our aspiration, um, I said that, you know, we dominated, we got about 22 million head on the platform. There's 800 million head globally of wow. commercial cattle. So there's a bit of headroom to grow into. And, you know, with some of the advents, like I talked about that, you know, the California Corporate Data Climate Accountability Act, a bit of a mouthful, but, you know, the Green Deal um, in uh, in the EU, similar regulations coming in for the SEC to report on scope three emissions. This stuff isn't going away. And the reality is both food productivity to feed people 
more efficiently, but also sustainably and account for the sustainability and mitigate or reduce the footprint of sustainability, that's where we want to grow. And I think what's next for us is, is you know, finding the right partner um, and partners to continue that, that proliferation. It doesn't necessarily mean financial. It, it just means who is aligned with this goal of driving greater food production at a sustainable level. Well, Justin, it's, it's actually, for me, um, when I did that task force back in 2018, I often wondered to myself, was this just a, a research project on how to digitise small, how do we get small businesses to adopt digitisation to become more, more productive or at least have, yeah, more productive and have more time to themselves or have um, more more to invest, reinvest in their business? Was it was it just a, a research exercise or was it going to result in something? And uh, um, I'm so glad I got here to talk to you today, notwithstanding all the roadblocks I had in front of me, um, and and to meet you. And by the way, uh, you you were a much younger man than um, well, <laughs> 2018. It's five years ago. But, uh, I, there's no way I could take that as a compliment. So that's very kind of no, you. Was, uh, no, but you were a much younger man because what struck me is you guys are all really young and fresh and sort of really. Uh, um, I don't know. I felt like you're all sort of uh, just out of university, engineers or something like that. Like that, that was the sense I got him when I walked in that room with uh, with the, the treasurer at the time, and uh, and he was very proud. By the way, he was really excited to take me there. He must have heard about it earlier on, but it's so good to see an Australian company do exactly what that treasurer um, had foreseen as being something that's going to be a great have a great impact on Australia and now in your case for the, for the rest of the world and who knew how the rest of the world was going to grow and who knew about all these regulations that were going to come up that you, you keep quoting I can't the mouthfuls I can't even re, <laughs> I can't even repeat them the Californian blah 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 but who knew that sort of stuff and the speed at which things are going to happen and it seems to me that um, your business uh, AgriWeb is right in the middle of it so I appreciate you coming in um, it's been very stimulating for me and I definitely will get onto my farm. Well, Mark, an absolute delight to be here. Thank you so much for asking, you know, the insightful questions and I loved our meandering discussion. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. And to everyone that's out there. Good um, to see you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.